0: I believe that this morning we are only just beginning to make the darkness tremble. I believe that we are going to bring God's light into some of the dark places in our lives. Places that the light hasn't been in so long. But healing is going to come with restoration. And we're going to leave here whole in God's presence. And it's exciting. I thank you for allowing me to be here today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Bobby. And I just ask that you join me in welcoming God into this place. As we pray to you, Lord, speak through me. Because we know that any wisdom I have is nothing compared to what you have. And your spirit can speak life to us and hope. And I pray that you are here in the midst with us. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So as I was thinking lately, I was thinking about some of the worst emotions we can face as human beings. And one of them, it might not be one that directly comes to our minds, but it's the feeling of missing out on something in life. I know when I was looking back to some of my younger years, when I was in seventh grade, I was actually the starting point guard of our middle school basketball team. Now, it was one of the highlights. And at that that point, it was like I was living in my glory because, you know, we played games right after school, even though it was only the JV team, 8th grade was varsity, people would come watch us in the gym, and we even had cheerleaders. I mean, as a 7th grader, it was like I was on cloud nine at that point. And then, come next year's tryouts, I was feeling very full of myself, I knew my position of being the starting point guard, and some things got shifted around between the different schools and all of that stuff, and it turns out that I didn't even make the team my 8th grade year. I got cut, I didn't see my name on that list. And part of that may have been, I remember at one point during tryouts, I actually was kind of bragging to some of my friends, saying, you know what, I don't even necessarily want to be on this team, I don't like basketball that much, just because I was trying to sound cool. But when I saw those other players, I experienced that emotion of missing out. And it was something that stuck with me for years and years. I think about, you know, all of the years some of us have spent fantasizing about someone other than our spouse, saying, if only this person wasn't stuck with me, I could be with this 10 instead of this 7. Or we're saying, you know, if only I wasn't tied to this person, think what I could do with my life. But then the divorce happens and we see our spouse with someone else. And then we think, wow, wow look what I'm missing out on, look what I could be doing. Or think about children in school. They spend years and years complaining, you know, saying, I don't want to go here for eight hours a day. I don't want to waste my time being at school today. But then the coronavirus happens and the children can't go to school. And they start saying, I'm missing out on this. You know, I got bored at home very quickly after just a couple days. They're saying, the food at school was actually pretty good. The teachers really did care about me and they feel like they're missing out at that point. And this feeling of missing out is something that all of us could experience one day. But I'm hoping that none of us will ever experience it. Because in God's word, Jesus tells us that not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is so much more severe than missing out on a basketball team or going to school. This is missing out on the kingdom of heaven. And the text tells us that uh, only those who actually do the will of my father will enter. So we start thinking like, what is the will of the father? Okay, God, I got this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's your will, right? It it seems likely. But God wants something different from us. Because God created each of us to be a unique human being with different talents and abilities. So yes, we are called to love the Lord, love our neighbor first and foremost. But then he has specific plans for our lives that nobody else can do other than us. And if we're not living within those plans, we're not truly living out His will for us in this life. You know, as much as we want to be doing everything we can to be a good Christian, we need to be in touch with God to be able to say, is this what you actually want me to be doing? Because it's so very easy to just do what's popular in that moment. You know, I know that culture has popular things happening, but so does Christianity. Christianity kind of comes in trends, and we see what the bigger churches are doing, or we see what the cool worship leaders are doing, the cool pastors are doing, and we try and mimic those things oftentimes instead of mimicking the things that God wants us to do in our own lives. Because the text continues and tells us On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, We cast out demons in your name and even say, Lord, we perform many miracles in your name. And then I think that God's going to be saying, did you really do those things in my name? Or were you doing them because someone told you to? Or were you doing those things because they were the popular thing to do at the time? It can be so easy to be like, look at these wonderful things we did for you, God. But he's saying, were they really for me? Was I really there in the midst when you were doing them? Because at the end of the day, we can do some remarkable Christian-looking things without fully relying on God. If we want to explain this a little bit, if we look in Exodus and we see Pharaoh's magicians, they could be saying, Lord, look, we turned a staff into a snake, just like Moses. We could be saying, I turned the Nile into blood. Didn't you see that sign that I did? Or we could be saying, Lord, I produced frogs all over the land. You know, Pharaoh's magicians could say that on the day of judgment. They could be saying, look, we did all this stuff just like Moses. And Moses is one of the pillars of the faith. You know, Moses appeared with Jesus Christ and Elijah on the mountain. And Pharaoh's magicians did some of the same signs that he did, but yet They did not do them in the name of Jesus. They did them for other reasons in their lives. To get a little bit more personal, we could be saying, Hey God, we went to church in your name. Hey God, we gave money and food in your name. Hey God, we went on a mission trip in your name. You know, all of us in this room can be saying, look at these things we're doing in your name, God. But I believe he's gently nudging us, not condemning, but gently saying, are you really doing these things with me? Are you doing them because your family brought you along? Or because you feel like it's the respectable thing to do in this culture? You know, I could be saying, but God, I preached a hundred sermons in your name. And he could be saying, Yeah, but did you consult me about what I wanted you to say? Did you just speak about pleasing verses? Was I truly there in the midst when you were preparing? Or were you just trying to tickle everybody's ears? I know, I'm trying to date myself a little bit now. Or think of some of these big-time worship leaders. You know, they could be saying, Lord, we led thousands and even millions of people into worship each week. But the Lord could be saying, yes, but did you spend time praying to me about what songs you were going to lead? Did you spend time praying about the people who would be with you? Or did you just sing these songs like a musician? Or in specifically my youth ministry context, and this isn't pointing anyone out, trust me, if anyone is pointing myself out, you know, we could be saying, Lord, I helped every Sunday night for two years straight. I did that in your name. Shouldn't that get me right into heaven? And God's saying, was I really involved in your night? Or did you go and make it a social hour? Did you really seek me to find out which students needed your help? Or were you just there to get your volunteer hours in? You know It's so easy to live this Christian life apart from God without truly relying on him in all ways. And the problem is that one day we will all face our Lord. And we don't want him to be saying that we did these things on our own. We want him to be saying, yes, you truly did do these things in my name. Because if we don't, the day will come when God will say, I never knew you get away from me, you who break God's law. And he's not going to say this angry, he's not going to be furious or frustrated with us, but God's going to be heartbroken, saying, I never got the chance to know you. I know every fiber of your being, I know every hair on your head, but you never came to me to start this relationship. And it's going to break God's heart, but he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. And I believe that that's why this earth looks the way that it does right now. You know, God created this earth for everything to be good and for heaven, everything to be good, but yet the world looks something like this right now. It's just fuzzy. We see so many bad things happening and we wonder why. The reason why and a lot of it is because we need Jesus to be on every part of our life. Everything we go through, Jesus should be there because we'll be able to start thinking like him. You know, instead of doing something for ourselves, we might think, you know what, I'm going to go pray for that person, or I'm going to help that person move, or I'm going to do this or that. We might start acting like Jesus, where we come to serve instead of be served. You know, think if everyone in this world started serving others and taking that attitude, how quickly things would change. And we'll start to see things like Jesus Christ sees them. You know, especially right now with all the racial things going on when we see other people like jesus we'll see the differences and we'll celebrate those differences we'll start to see how wonderful everything is because they were perfectly crafted by god and we'll all come together in unity and we'll start to love like jesus god's word tells us that our love for one another will show to the world that we are his disciples and I don't think we're doing a good job loving each other. I don't mean this church in particular. I just mean human beings across the world. It's tough to choose a Christian out from a crowd among other people. It's, you know what? We start covering up Jesus Christ in all areas of our life. Rather than spending time with him, devoted to him, a couple things we do is that we start covering him up Instagram in particular, you know, you can spend hours just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And Instagram specifically shows a lot of pictures of human beings looking pretty good. You know, because the lighting is perfect, the angle is perfect. It's just trying to show what we think we want to look like. But then when we spend too much time scrolling, we look at our significant other and we think, you know, why don't you look like that? And we start to get more excited about scrolling through our phone than looking at the person that we're with. And just a warning, if you ever find yourself taking a second look at a picture, or if you zoom in, cut it out. You know, you can hold on to that app and hit the big X in the corner and it will disappear forever. Because it's better to enter eternal life Instagram lists than enter judgment. And Facebook, I mean, dating myself again, but recently I've thought we could honestly call it fake book because there are so many stories on Facebook right now that are completely untrue, but yet we spend our time reading through them and getting worked up over them when we're not called to be doing that. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, well, I don't use either of those two, so you know I must be doing pretty good keeping Jesus in all parts of my life How many of us watch either of these stations? (laughs) Now, hold on. Don't raise objections. I'm not saying anything bad about either particular one. But what I am saying is that they are designed to be divisive. Because even truthful stories on one of the platforms is written in a way that it puts the other platform down. We have such a divide within us right now. And it's just continually cultivated by the things that we're putting into us. We keep covering up Jesus Christ in our lives and putting in all of these other inputs so that we start thinking like the world wants us to think rather than thinking like Jesus Christ trained us to think. And one thing I need to mention to bring light to some of our dark places is that two out of three men, Christian men, two out of three Christian men admit to watching pornography at least once a month. And the numbers rising with women. I know it's uncomfortable to talk about, but it damages ourselves, our relationship with God, it damages our families, it damages our children who might stumble upon the things we've been looking at. It damages our lines for generations and generations all because we're doing this thing in secret and in hiding. And it doesn't just hurt that, but it hurts the actors who were involved. Because although the acts are real, all of the scenes and everything are so fake, but yet it leaves everybody involved in the process hurt. And then some of us, we talk about our jobs. We talk about how much we hate them, and we spend so much time doing them every single week, and we feel like they pull us more and more away from Jesus if it does, then, and if you don't feel like God has called you into the job that you have, start equipping yourself for something new. Because we don't have any excuse. Living in America, we have resource upon resource to try different things out. And if we feel like our job is pulling us away from God, it's better to enter eternal life poor than to be rich on this earth. Also, another factor that so many of us do is, one second, sports. Like, I'm not saying anything bad about sports. I love sports. But I play golf nine holes a week, okay? But even with just those nine holes, I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to a hospice patient at Redstone when I should be trying to hear what God's speaking to me, but yet I'm thinking about some of the golf shots I'm going to hit later that night, or I'm thinking about that good round that I played And finally, sometimes we can think about our friends, and we can say, Lord, I know that they're bad, I know I shouldn't be around them, but I'm going to be the good one out of this friend group. Lord, I'm going to change them, and it just doesn't happen. We're called to be friends with non-Christians, as Josh preached about a couple weeks ago, but we become the people we spend our time with. So if we're spending our time with bad people, we need to start finding some better friends. So we wonder why this earth looks like this, because we use all these different things in life to cover up our time and then at the end of the day we might say, okay, now I'm going to read my Bible for 15 minutes and everything's going to be okay, even though, even though we've been exposed to so many things layering on us throughout the day. and It just doesn't work that way. We need every part of our life to have to be Jesus Christ-centered Because that is where we'll find that fullness of life. Because we're truly all missing out. You know, not all of us in this room, but as a society, as a whole, we're missing out. We're missing out on the life that Jesus Christ has for us right now. And a lot of times, you know, we might think, you know, I'm trying as a parent. I'm trying to do everything right for my kids to have them involved in this and that. I'm trying hard to get them to church. We might say, I'm trying hard to read my Bible. I'm trying hard to do this and trying hard to do that. And the problem isn't that we're not trying hard enough. The problem is that we're not giving ourselves some time to pause and lean back to God and to say, I'm coming into your presence now. I want you to fill me. I want you to lead me. I want you to give me the thoughts that I should be thinking. A famous worship leader, Stephanie Gretzinger, she said something I really like. She said that our authority on this earth is not in our push. It's not in how hard we try, but it's in our heart's position. It's about where our heart is positioned at as we're going about our lives. You know, is our heart positioned ahead of us so that we can get as much gain as possible selfishly. There is our heart positioned with God so that we can look to this world and see others and love like he does. Now in God's word, he tells us, I love this. It's It's a letter to one of the churches in Revelation. He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first Consider how far you have fallen. He's not saying, I hold this against you. You're not trying hard enough. But he's saying, you have forsaken the love you had at first. But that's not our death sentence. Because he says, repent and do the things you did at first. That is the good news. That we can turn from the ways we've been going... We can turn, physically turn away from our sin and start following Jesus once again at any point. You know, it doesn't matter how far off we've strayed, but we can always turn around and turn to Jesus in repentance. Amen. Because when we, we, when we want to get back to God, we need to start with repenting. Because if we have all this sin in our lives that we're comfortable with, and we say we also want to be a Christian, it's just too much to carry. We can't do it because God can't be associated with that sin. We need to give it to him and turn and follow him. You see, in order to do this, we must build that firm foundation. I know a number of us have heard this passage before, but this comes right after many will say to me, Lord, Lord. It says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, even when the storms come in life, they won't devour you. In contrast, it then tells us that anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like one who builds a house on sand. When troubles come and trials in this life We don't have any kind of foundation, which I know a lot of us have heard this passage before, but one thing I want to point out to us is look at the distinction between the two. When we think of listening and hearing, you know, there's a big difference if you listen to a sermon this morning compared to you heard a sermon this morning. You know, think about a father telling his son to go out and take the garbage out. If the son's listening to this request, and he goes out and does it, but puts the can maybe on the wrong side of the driveway, the father will likely have compassion on that son and say, he listened, he tried his best, I'm just going to help correct him for next time. But, say the father tells the son... I want you to take the trash out. And the kid says, yeah, yeah, I heard you. And then later the kid, you know, rushes out there and puts the can on the wrong side. Then the dad's going to be mad because he wasn't really hearing what he was saying. And Jesus wants us to be listening to his teachings, not just hearing them. Because when we listen, look at the little wiggle room we get. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to follow God's laws, but to follow means to follow behind. Think of my little nephew Leo, he's a year and a half old. You know, think if I tell him to follow me around this stage. You know, as he's following me, he might get distracted by a microphone cable, he might start beating on the drums, he might trip over his own feet, but at the end of the day I'm going to be happy if he keeps following me like I asked him. And in our relationships with Jesus there's going to be times when we trip on our own feet or we get distracted by something shiny in life but we need to keep following Jesus and we have that compassion from him. Whereas if we just hear his teaching, we either obey or we don't. It's firm words but I love to see how the word of God interacts with one another. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So we should want to follow what Jesus is saying because there's something different about when he speaks as opposed to when other people speak. There's something tangibly different about him. So when we see this, when we want to come back to God, we repent. And then we remember. We remember how faithful He has been in our lives, the promises he gives us and the promises He gives us for the future. Because you know think if you're feeling stuck or afraid, and you think, "God, I just don't know how I'm going to get through life." We can remember how God rescues us, how when God's people were fleeing from the Egyptians, He parted the Red Sea and gave them safe passageway. Or we could remember how God provides by those same Israelites. He provides food for them, manna, as they were wandering for those 40 years. Or we could remember how God stands with us as he stood by... You know, it's funny. There was one part of this sermon that I'm like, this is the easiest to remember because it's these three unique names. And for a second there, I forgot Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we can remember how God stands with us in the fire. He stands with us when we're going through difficult situations. Or if we want to go to the New Testament, we can remember how God has compassion on those who need him that he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 as they were listening to his teaching. We can remember how he restored the adulterous woman back to life. How even when the men wanted to stone her and put her to death for what she did, Jesus Christ said, anyone who is without sin, go ahead and do it. And when they all left, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And to some of us today, Jesus is saying, I do not condemn you either. And then we can remember that he descended into hell. Then on the third day, he rose again to life. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's proved that no power on the, in the, above the earth or below the earth can ever stand in the way of his love for us. You, know, you see, when we remember things, It helps us in our relationship with God currently because sometimes this earth can look really, really bland and we can think God isn't doing anything great in my life right now. But when we remember some of the promises he gives us, we can see that he is with us. We're a new creation. We're designed for good works. Our name is registered in heaven. Nothing separates us from his love. We can see all these wonderful things. I know one time I was on the golf course in high school and I had about a 12-foot putt, like from here to that microphone, to stay above where I should have been, to stay right at par. And I made it and thought, "Wow, I just can't keep doing this every hole. Eventually I'm going to start missing these and I'm going to fall below where I should be. And that made me think of, you know, next hole I can just hit it closer. I don't have to keep putting myself in this position. And I look and see, you are a new creation. It makes me think, you know, there are times when we're tempted to sin and we succumb to it because we say, you know what, next time I'm going to succumb to this anyway, so I better just do it now. No, when we say no to sin, things start changing and victory starts happening and we can overcome it and not even be tempted again. I know in my own life personally, When I look back and I try to remember what God has done, I remember when I was just a seven-year-old boy at a church service and I had no idea what was going on. And I remember specifically in that moment feeling like I was called into ministry. And there have been so many times over the years that I've kind of forgotten about that or God should have disqualified me for the sins I committed But now, I look back and I see his faithfulness. That as I turn 30, I'm able to preach and deliver his word just like he told me I would be doing when I was seven. And it just feels special. It's like he's giving me a special reminder today, thankful from Pastor Steve to give me this opportunity. God, it's like I have the thought in my head that Levite priests around Jesus' time had an internship from 25 to 30 and then at 30 they were allowed to be a full-blown enter the priesthood. And It just makes me think how like God is allowing me to preach as I turn 30 and it's just the most exciting thing that I give him praise for because it's not from how I've lived my life but it's from finally positioning myself with him and letting him go before me. So finally after we repent and remember we need to read and i know this is where it's so easy to tune out and from the time that we start sunday school and go through youth group it seems like the answer to any question can be read my bible more or spend time reading with god but it's so truthful you see we have the holy word of god at our fingertips there's never been a generation of people who had this much access to what God's saying. You know, we have every translation available. We can look up different verses. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seats, take it home with you. But we have no excuse not to be spending this time with God because if we don't read our Bibles, God's not going to be able to speak into us in such an intense way. He's not going to be able to remind us of things and show us what he's going to do. Because there's going to come a point in our lives where we're not going to be able to blame anything on anyone else. We're going to be standing there face to face with God and we're going to have to be accountable in those moments. And we can't say, God, I didn't have a Bible. God, I was just tired. God, I wanted to watch that on TV. No, we're going to say, God, I don't really have an excuse. Now it's thankful, I'm thankful that we have a merciful and forgiving God but we need to spend time with Him. And one tip I'll leave us with for this is to set a sacred time. You know, because it can be so easy to think of all these different ways to study with God, but set a sacred time. And not just for reading our Word, but set a, set a sacred time every single day to spend time repenting, remembering, and reading from His Word. I don't care if it's 15 minutes. 15 minutes. You know, set a time. Maybe you like to wake up early from 6.15 to 6.30 a year with God. Then you'll handle life's responsibilities. Hopefully at some point we'd make it longer than that. Or maybe it's breaks throughout the day, but set a sacred time to do these things because I promise you when we're positioned with God, we'll be able to do so much more than we ever thought we could do on our own. So I ask the worship team, you can start coming up. I just want to share that for these past six months or so, I've been working with hospice in Redstone, and I've seen hundreds of people either passing away or at the very end of their life. And I'll tell you that very, very quickly, the things of this world pass away. You know, Very, very quickly, our possessions, they rust, they get destroyed. Even the people in our lives, they pass away And I've seen too many people at the end of their lives feeling like I've missed out. You know, especially at Redstone, there's some wealthy people there who had very privileged positions and did a lot of good in the secular world. But what I found is that meaning in life doesn't come from all the things we do in this world, but it comes from being in a relationship with God and then moving forward from there. And this has to start with repentance. It has to start with turning from the sins that we commit and turning back to God. Sometimes these are sins that we're disgusted of and we want them out of our lives so badly, but sometimes we're actually proud of these sins and we don't want to say goodbye to them, but we need to. Because each time we repent and turn back to God, it doesn't just change our life. Because the devil has to flee when we do that. But it changes the life of our family and our children and generations and generations. It just keeps changing as we turn back to God and make those decisions. So I hope I'm not overstepping here, but one thing I want us to do as we close is I ask that the worship team would just be still for a minute without any music. And I ask that all of us would stand to our feet at this time. And I ask, you know, I don't want any of us to begin worshiping God again, whether it's through our mouths or through our instruments, without a repentant heart and turning to God. So at this time, in the quietness of his presence, I ask you to just pour out your sins to him. Tell him how you're sorry, how you wish you wouldn't commit that. But tell him no matter what, even if I keep committing this sin forever, I'm going to turn away from it because I love you as my Lord. Because restoration is happening in this place. God's Spirit is in this place, and it's like it's pouring down from the ceiling right now. It's like God's presence is coming over us. And now, when you feel that repentant heart, go ahead and begin to worship as we head into this time, knowing that our lives are forever changed, knowing that our God is here in this place as we begin to worship Him, as we be- begin to make sounds with our voices and with our instruments that our lives are changed forever when we lean back into his arms, when we turn from our sins and then we start following Jesus. So I invite us now to worship together in this place as a people with repentant hearts. I invite us to worship together.